Welcome to P3 Radio. The monkey only dances as good as the guy grinding the organ handle. Give a lesson. We're coming for you, baby. <laughs> that was my moment of I carried a watermelon. And if you're going to call me back tomorrow or whatever, I mean, you better believe I took my turn a little bit. <laughs> what? Cool story, bro. PG3 Radio. Here's your host, Josh Friday. Ladies and gentlemen, next up we have crying little blind children. Richard Mulligan. I don't know. Is this making any sense to anybody out there? It's showtime! It's showtime! It's showtime! Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to another episode of P3 Radio. I'm Richard Mulligan, joined by my co-host and best friend, Josh Briley. Say hey, Josh. How's it going, Richard? Mr. Board Mixer, Mix well, Master Rich. It is a lot more since we've set this up, uh, the new way we've set it up to make everything work properly, but... You said new it wave? Yeah, it's a new way we've we're got this set up. We're doing new wave. No, not new so wave. So we're saying screw podcasting, we're yeah. going to go new wave. New wave music is the way to go, but no, we're not going new wave. We've got an interview for you guys today. Josh, who we got on today? Little Guido, otherwise known as Nunzio. We're excited to have him on. We can't wait to talk to him about ECW, WWE, and all kinds of other stuff. But we're going to do that right after this commercial break from P3 Florida. Yo, man, come to Florida. We got all of the sights you've been wanting to be seeing, man. Come to SeaWorld, free your willy man. Come to Legoland, everything is awesome. You can come to Universal Studios, get your Marty McFly on man. You hear the trash can drums man, Josh, I love it. Jo- Josh, what are, you, what are you doing man? Huh? What are, you, what are you doing? This isn't Jamaica, this is Florida. What? I heard the trash can drums and I just got excited. Well, I'm they're sorry. called steel drums and everything you, else you pretty much said was okay. But we want to say also that if you book with Florida Ticket Station, your tickets are guaranteed by the state of Florida to be valid. So your vacation will be on point and where it needs to be the right way. So go right now to Florida Ticket Station by visiting them at tinyurl.com p3florida and book your Florida trip today. That's tinyurl.com slash p3floridaman. Once again, it's Florida, not Jamaica. I'm sorry. When you go shopping for wine, do you look at the labels? Do you stare at the price and wonder if the wine is worth the expensive tag? Well, stop it, because Wine of the Month Club has you covered. Every month, Wine of the Month Club is going to send you two bottles of high-quality wine right to your front door. And what better way to say I'm thinking of you than a subscription to the original Wine of the Month Club for a friend or a sweetheart. Each month they'll be reminded of your thoughtfulness and will receive the monthly wine letter and newsletter binder. Recipes, wine knowledge, and great wine, and the opportunity to get more of their favorites is at hand. Give with confidence and joy knowing that you're a part of the original Wine of the Month Club. By the way, there are no dues, no fees, no hidden charges. Cancel any time with no obligation. Just pay no more than $23.96 plus shipping for two great bottles of wine. Go there now. Sign up by visiting our link, tinyurl.com slash p3wine. That's tinyurl.com slash p3wine. The Wine of the Month Club, the original wine club since 1972. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us right now on the P3 Radio Hotline, former ECW Tag Team Champion and former WWE Cruiserweight Champion, wrestling superstar, Little Guido. He's also known as Nunzio. Man, Nunzio, thanks for being a part of P3 Radio today. It's an honor to have you, man. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Growing up, were you just a fan of the WWF or did you like NWA and different stuff like that? Well, I was a wrestling fan all my life. Most, 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 I would say 85% of guys in, in pro wrestling are wrestling fans. You know, you got that 15% that fall into it because they have a great look or whatever. But, you know, 85% people that are in the business and successful are, are fans of the business. And, and rightfully so, just like if you're a, a pro hockey player, pro basketball player, pro football player, 
uh, nine times out of ten, it's you've been you you loved that since day one, since you were a kid, and you played Pop Warner, and you played you know middle school, then in high school, then went to college. So you know, I saw my first wrestling match on WOR TV because I lived in New York. So WWE is, is what well, was WWF is the only thing I had. Used to come on after the horse races, um, twelve o'clock at night on Channel Nine, and uh, the first guys I ever remember used to seeing was like Killer Khan and Superstar Billy Graham and. Bob Backlund, that was all in my era. That was 1979, 80 era. Uh, and I remember I used to stay up late at night, and you know, obviously my parents used to think I was sleeping, so I was like nine or ten years old, and I used to go be in my room watching Channel 9. So, yeah, I was a wrestling fan all my life. Awesome. Well, you were trained by the legendary Billy Robinson. Did he ever stretch you just to let you know what time it was? Yeah, Billy. Billy was a little beat up by the time that 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 I met him and he started training me. Um, but yes, I mean, many a times with, with <laughs> Billy had very bad knees, so we would get on the mat and he would wrestle you from the ground. It was hard for him to to, to wrestle you on your feet. Um, but you know, I was trained by Billy Robinson in, in the shoot style. I, I was actually trained in Persephone, New Jersey. I, I was a pro wrestler first. I I started wrestling. I met. Uh, I was trained by Jerry Fazio. Mike Masters, Gino Caruso, Kodiak Bear, up in Parsippany. Uh, I started uh, wrestling school, I guess, uh, in 1991. And I wrestled on the independence for a couple of years, uh, doing shows, you know, training at the school and doing shows for Tommy D and, and um, Tommy Savoldi and Mario Savoldi, IWCCW, uh, before actually wrestling for UWFI. Uh, those guys I just mentioned taught me how to be a professional wrestler. In 1994, I would say, I got an opportunity to go for a tryout for this company called UWFI, and that's where I met Billy Robinson. They were they were sending things out to all uh, all the wrestling schools, and I had an amateur background. I was I was captain of my wrestling team in high school, um, you know, so I wrestled that style too all my life. So when this opportunity came up to the school, I was wondering what it was. At that time, I didn't know about the submissions and the catches, catch can and all that shit, because right, right. that was before UFC and all that. UWFI, Pancreas, that was all in Japan. You know, so um, so they flew me out to Nashville, Tennessee, and I went to a clinic, and Billy Robinson was there, and they had these guys, and they were great wrestlers too, but the only difference was they were also shoot fighters, and I wasn't a shoot fighter, so they got me in the ring, and they beat on me pretty much for six hours one day and I couldn't do nothing because, you know, I could wrestle, but I didn't know chokes and arm bars and leg bars. I didn't even know what that shit was. Right. In amateur wrestling, you don't, you don't supposed to go more than 45 degree angle because you don't want to break somebody's arm. Right. Well, shoot wrestling and, and catch a sketch can wrestling is totally different, which I knew nothing about at the time. So when I went there, I trained there for a week and Billy Jean, uh, um, no, Billy Scott, Gene Leidick, I was training with those guys. Gary Albright also uh, is with UWFI. Um, and I trained there for a week, and um, they sent, I went home, and then a week later they called me back, and they wanted me to come back again. And at that time, I was like, listen, I said, I don't know what the fuck happened the last time, but that's bullshit because I don't know what these guys are doing, and, and I'm not interested if you're not going to teach me what's going on. You know, they're kicking right. the shit out of me. Yeah. So they were like, oh, we'll just come down here. We'll talk to you and blah, blah, blah. And then I went down there and um, they accepted me into their school. And um, and they started training me to be a, a, a UWF fighter. And um, after training for like, I think, six months, they sent me to Japan. I signed up with UWFI. And I worked for that company for like two and a half years. And they would I would live in Nashville. And we would train. We would get paid to train five days a week with Billy Robinson and a couple other coaches. And then we'd go to Japan every three weeks and fight. And was that, uh, was Sakuraba over there at that time in UWFI? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you, could, you could Google Nunzio versus Sakuraba. I wrestled awesome. all those guys. Takayama, I wrestled Takayama. You Google Nunzio. Uh, you have to do James Stone. I wrestled as James Stone. Right. I wrestled, I wrestled Sakuraba, Takayama, um, all of them, basically. Kanahare, all the guys. Kanahare, whatever their name is. All the guys that wrestled for UWFI. It's, it's online. You, you, you could just Google, but you got to Google James Stone. Right. We could do Google James Stone UWFI. So that was my first. I was actually wrestling on the Independence as Damien Stone mm -hmm. uh, for a couple of years. And then when I went to J Japan, when they accepted me and started sending me to Japan, they didn't want to use any gimmick names because they wanted to separate pro wrestling and what they were doing out there. So they wanted to use James Maritato. That's my real name. But they couldn't pronounce my real last name. <laughs> so they kept my first name and, and ended up being James Stone because they didn't want they, they wanted to separate like 
you know, nobody, there was no TV went to Japan or anything. And I wasn't really on TV as Damien Stone anyway. But they didn't want, you know, they didn't want people thinking we, I was like a pro wrestler. They wanted to shoot fighter over there. Right. You know. Well, we used to stay up late and watch ECW because it came on like really late here in Tennessee. It was like 1 a.m., uh, on a Friday nights, and we were huge wrestling fans, so we used to stay up late. So I remember J.T. Smith and them doing the gimmick with him getting hit in the head. I think it was with like a frying pan or something, and he became like this Italian gimmick. And then later on, they put you with J.T. Smith and make a tag team. What was your relationship with J.T. and how did he feel about you joining and making it a tag team? What happened was uh, at one point UWFI closed down. This is like 1995. Um, before I went to UW, as I said, I worked for the Savoldis. When I worked for the Savoldis in 91, I met at that time Taz, Tommy Dreamer, uh, Johnny Gunn, all, all, you know, Ray Odyssey, all these guys, and became friendly with them. Then I went to Japan. Well, when I came back from Japan, when that company closed down, I heard about this ECW. I knew the Sandman because I wrestled with him when it was Eastern Championship Wrestling. So but Todd Gordon brought me in way before in 1992. So I was wrestling there uh, as Eastern Championship Wrestling. So when Japan closed down, I went to Puerto Rico and I met El Porto Ricano. You know who that is? Uh, El Porto Ricano. Oh, that's oh, uh, uh, Ubis, right? Didn't, didn't he, he wrestle was, as uh, Ubis? He, he, yeah, he was Ubis in WWE for a little while. Yeah, WWF, yes. But he was uh, he was the extreme rookie in ECW ah. first. Is uh, he wrestled in ECW? Anyway, I was wrestling for for I think Carlos Colon in Puerto Rico, and. Um, uh, I met him, and he's like, hey, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this ECW thing. I said, oh, yeah. I said, isn't Dreamer and those guys there, Taz? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, oh, tell those guys. I said, hello. So when I went back to Puerto Rico three weeks later, I saw him again. He's like, oh, man, Dream- I saw Dreamer and Taz, and they said, give them a call. They want to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, okay. So when I went home, I called up Tommy Dreamer, and he's like, oh, come down to uh, Philadelphia. I want to introduce you to Paul Lee. I never met Paul Lee at the time. So I was like, all right, cool. You know, so I go down there. And, uh, you know, introduced me to Paul Lee. And at that time, they started using me as Damian Stone again. And I was wrestling as Damian Stone on non-televised events, even a couple of televised events. For you. But it was like in the very beginning stage. It was ex- just turning into extreme championship wrestling. And J.T. Smith was already doing the Italian gimmick. Right. And as I was wrestling there, Paul Lee's always like, oh, you remind me of a Joe Pesci type of guy. You know, <laughs> a small guy, but with, you know, with a firecracker. And he said this for months and months. And one day I came to, to, to they called me up and said, oh, come down to, um, they told me to come down to um, Lost Battalion Hall in Queens, which I lived in New York anyway. Right. So when I walked in there, Paul Lee called me in. He goes, you know, we're going to call you Little Guido. He goes, I want your character to be a small guy, but tough guy and big mouth and, and you know, not uh, not afraid of anybody. He goes, and we're going to put you with uh, J.T. Smith. So that's where we did the, um, I said, okay, and we're going to become the full-blooded Italian. So that's where I met J.T. You know, I actually knew JT from b- before, but not really friends with him. I knew him from right. Eastern Championship Wrestling. And that was the debut of Devon Dudley. They oh, wow. wrestled. Bubba Ray and Devon beat the shit out of us. And my, when after JT got hit the frying pan, I came out there. He's like, oh, you're my cousin. And we were saying we were cousins <laughs> and everything. And then Devon music hit. And that's how he came out and got introduced as one of the Dudley boys. Nice. Well, when you and JT got teamed up, I mean, how much creative freedom did you guys have for your promos and all the cutscene stuff? No, that Paul, Paulie would just bring us around like we did the one in, in South Philly at the Rocky statue, you know, and then he kind of just gave us our own thing. We did a bunch of them at the Rocky statue, and they aired like six different weeks at a time. We cut a bunch of different episodes. We did it at Gino's Steakhouse. Paulie gave everybody... Paulie wanted everybody to, to, to be themselves and just go out there and do it, and, and then he would tweak it. He would give you an idea. Like, he told me what he wanted me as the character. He wanted me to be like a short, you know, short fuse, small guy, but with a big mouth and not afraid of anybody. And then you got to work your character. Like, he don't, and it's not like WWE. WWE will sit you down and be like, okay, this is your character. Give you scripts and, and try to, like, force something on you right you know paulie never really did that he took us all ourselves and let us evolve and then maybe tweak it or or change it so he gave everybody creative freedom you know and dreamer used to run the promos too and he would just give you an idea of what he wants and then you would run one if he didn't like it they would say cut do it again do it a little like this oh cut do it again then until it's where they wanted it so you know ecw was it was different you know wwe was, was a was a machine ecw was not at that time but it was a growing period for guys like me, Dreamer, 
Bubba Ray, you know, before we ever went anywhere, you know. Right, right. Well, you know, I'm pretty sure you guys were the first to do, the, like, the Italian mafia-type gimmick. Uh, those types of movies back then were very popular, but they've become even more popular nowadays. Uh, would you say the gimmick would be an example of how in touch Paul E. was with the pulse of American pop culture? Was this just a great idea, and it's kind of even was ahead of its time? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how how he came up. I mean, honestly, I mean, I grew, I, I was, I'm from Howard Beach. I go back and forth there all the time. A lot of obviously Gotti and all the mafia was from Howard Beach. Uh, obviously, I never got involved, but I was always intrigued as a kid because they all lived around the corner. All my aunts, cousins, uncles are still down there, and I still go there. I moved out of there when I was like ten, eleven years old, but I always had contact with them. You know, and I was talking to my cousins, not not the mafia. But we always used to always see all the mafia guys and stuff. So I was actually you know, always intrigued when that. So when when he gave us that little that gimmick, I always kept in mind things I used to see and watch on on TV and stuff. So yeah, I mean Paulie Paulie knew. I mean he just you know he didn't. We weren't really a mafia gimmick in a way. We were right. more of a comical stable. You know, a WWE kind of gave us. You know, and everybody thinks I'm the first. But obviously, you guys know. Well, I, you know, I've, I've had a lot of partners. I had me, J.T. Smith, Big Sal, Tracy Smothers, Tony Mama Luke, um, Davey Paisano. I had Mabel in my group at one time, one-man gang. Wildfire, Tommy Rich. Said, yeah, Tommy Rich. Oh, Wildfire. Tommy Rich, yeah. <laughs> well, that was the, the ECW FBI was me, Tracy Smothers, Tommy Rich. The right. WWE, and, and also me, Mama Luke, and Big Sal. First it was me, first it was me and J.T., and then J.T. quit, actually, moved to Virginia, and then he brought Tommy and Tracy's mothers in, and I was the FBI there. Then in 2000, those guys left, and he brought in Big Sal and Tony Mamaluke, and mm-hmm. I was the FBI there. Then when the ECW closed down, I went to WWE. Uh, they put me, Chuck Colombo, and Johnny Stamboli. Yeah. But everybody always said, oh, you're, always, you're, the, you're the original FBI member. You, you know, you, you've had all the partners, and it's actually wrong. Right. As you guys know, and you guys just said it, J.T. Smith was the first full-part Italian, not me. Right. Well, you know, actually what I was going to ask, and you might have already kind of glanced over it here, but I was going to say when the Sopranos came out, you know, they had the Italian, the type mafia show, and they got a lot of heat and from like real mafia members. I remember that. I was going to say, did you guys ever get any kind of blowback from that kind of, from the mafia members that might have seen it? No. 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 Okay. <laughs> actually, I had one, one, of, one of the guys, the guy with the ponytail, I forget his name, he actually did stuff with me. He walked me out to the ring and managed me a few times. I forget Frederico, Frederico, I think his name was. Oh wow! Guy with the ponytail. I forget his name. So he actually did stuff with me on the independence because uh, he's from Jersey. I live in New York, and we actually did. Uh, we actually did stuff. But no, I, I think uh, the difference with with the the one the Sopranos, they were really acting out real life events. We weren't murdering anybody. We right. weren't playing. We were like we were like goofy characters compared to you know we weren't we weren't trying to act like real mafia guys right you know I, I i could see that happening but you know with those guys but not not so much of what we're doing <laughs> well of all it never happened oh yeah yeah well of all of the different fbi teammates that you had you know we just went over the full list of all of them who was your favorite and we say favorite i'm not saying pick your favorite it's not like sophie's choice or anything like that but who was your favorite to you know, get in there and learn from or be with that you knew. Okay, this guy I can tear the house down with, no problem. It was just your your preference of teammate. Yeah, well, I tell you, and I'm not just saying this. I loved all the groups because they're all in different eras, and and I learned a lot from from Tracy and Tommy. Those guys really taught me how to slow it down and taught me old school. You know, I never wrestled in Memphis and stuff like that. Right. Um, I knew what it was. You know, I started Independence, went and did shoot fighting, then went to ECW where we were just fucking running crazy spots. But there really was wrestling, too. It right. wasn't all just getting people always think you always get hit in the head with chairs and shit. Nine times out of ten, my matches weren't like that. Yeah, I wrestled New Jack and the Dudleys. We beat we beat New Jack and Clones for the belts. They beat the shit out of us with guitars. And <laughs> but nine times out of ten, my matches were wrestling matches. And when, me, when I was with Tracy and Tommy, they taught me that old-school Southern style that you don't have to take a thousand bumps. They, they use your mouth, get the fans into your match, let them become part of it, you know, and, uh, and, and they'll enjoy it. So that style was great, and I definitely loved it. And then when they left, I, I already knew their style, and then they brought in uh, Tony Mamaluke and, and Big Sal, and I loved that era, too, because it, it was different. You know, that era was different. Uh, me and JT was totally different because we were just kind of starting and, you know, we didn't really have a, a, a method yet, you know. Right. And the FBI one in, in WWE, 
was more of a serious. We were beating up The Undertaker. We were taking on Nathan Jones, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, if you watch. You know, they, they used us, and I had a whole hit list, so they kind of used us more as a mafia group. We went down to Manhattan and cut all these promos where we were robbing uh, trucks or back of trucks and, you know, mugging people and shit like that. <laughs> so, but... And I'm not just saying that. And I just, I just got a chance to wrestle with Tracy not too long ago. And now on the independents, I mean, I, I don't, I only wrestle part time now. I got a full time gig, but it's great because so many different groups could use me with so many different people in the same place. I could go wrestle somewhere with Tracy and Tommy, and then that same promoter could bring me back with Sal and Tony, and then, you know, so it's like gives me a lot of open opportunities for for independents and part time work. You know, so, you know, I, I don't have a preference. You know, I was tag team champion with Tracy and Tommy. We had great matches. You know, I was tag team champion with Tony Mamaluke right. at one time, you know. Um, so, I mean, it, it was different. Tony, Me and Tony Mamaluke wrestled more of the Tajiris and Super Crazies, and they were more fast-paced matches because those guys weren't really around, when, or they were coming towards the end of when Tracy and Tommy were there. You know, so it was just, it was different. We were being used differently, too. You know, we were more, you know, it was just different. But, you know, and I'm not just saying, I just uh, know I, I love them all. I learned a lot from each group. Well, you know, you mentioned something there that uh, a lot of people look at ECW, well, a lot of people that didn't just understand it or get it. Um, you, you said something there. Some of the best matches I ever saw, period, wrestling matches, was in ECW because there was no limits on what you could do. You, every guy looked like they were out there to steal the show, and you had really good matches because of that competition. It didn't always have to include like a chair shot or a ladder or a frying pan. Some of the best matches I saw were with, with guys like Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero. Uh, your matches with Super Crazy. Uh, and, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. I think ECW gets a bad rap because... Honestly, they were some of the most innovative wrestling moves, wrestling matches. Uh, the three-way dance, for instance. Nobody was doing a three-way dance before ECW. Right. And I think ECW gets a bad rap because of their weapon use, but, man, did they innovate some stuff, and, man, were their matches just awesome. Absolutely. They had the Eddie Guerrero and Malenko Classic in 1995, wow. two out of three falls, and, you know, they brought in Johnny Smith. I mean, you know, Paulie used to bring in the wrestlers that – that that you know he he made some of them were having hard times. I'm saying not not you know I mean when Eddie Guerrero came in and and Malenko and Rey Mysterio after ECW was when they really started going with even with WCW and going into WWE. So ECW definitely propelled people and Paulie gave everybody a chance to go out there like you said. And since his TV was edited, it wasn't live. You can go out there and have a 15 minute match, and he could chop it down to make it six minutes to fit TV. Right. So he didn't, you know, we didn't really go live. We, it was taped, and he had a, he he did the editing himself. He wasn't afraid to go in the studio and spend 38 hours and edit TV. So it was easy for us because we weren't worried about hitting our times. There were no times. That's why the first time we did barely legal pay per view and stuff, everybody's like, "All right, gotta hit your time." Now it's live TV. <laughs> right. You know, I was like, "Holy shit, live TV!" First time I ever did live TV would it was. Before Barry Lego, I did Monday Night Raw with Stevie Richards. You know, when we went in there, it was, everything was so pressured. Here we are, you know, invading at the Hammerstein Ballroom or wherever it was. It wasn't the same place, the Hammerstein, but they called it uh, something else. Manhattan Center. Yeah, you know, the Manhattan we did the invasion Center. Would be, I, I wrestled Stevie Richards. Yeah. One of the first matches, BWA came, BWO came out, you know, and they were like, all right, this is going to be seven minutes and give me the countdowns. And I'm like, what the fuck? When I used to this, usually you just go out there, do it. When, and then when when you watch your match on TV, sometimes I watch a match that I did from the, wherever, and then I watch it on Friday night at one o'clock in the morning. I was like, "Holy shit, that's about a quarter of the match that I really had." Still looks all right. But I'm like, "Where did I, I kind of?" I'm like, "What happened to this part?" This right. part. Looks like that's I only he did it. So he looks like I only went six minutes and got blown up there. What, what's the deal? <laughs> yeah, I can't get blown up in six minutes. That match is twenty-seven minutes. I don't know what happened. To right. But, you know what? Just to get on TV. That's what he counted, whether whether it was for two minutes or eight minutes or 12 minutes. You know, that's the one thing good about Paulie. In that hour show, he would get all the characters on TV. So when we did house shows in places, from the first match to the last match, people were familiar with everybody on the card. They weren't, you know, they didn't consider anybody jobbers or anything. They knew, you know, we weren't all top guys. But the fans knew from the first match to the last match, Everybody, Paulie would, Paulie would throw a match of, of me starting, and then all of a sudden just go somewhere else. They, they were not here to finish our match. 
Next thing you know, it'll be three, four, five minutes in, and then boom, if you watch the TV, and all of a sudden it'll be into its another match. <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden they didn't show a finish of yours. But that was him just getting us all on TV, his, his way of doing things. Well, you know, you mentioned the WWE invasion angle that you guys did with ECW, which as a kid that was a ECW fan, I did not turn away from WWE that night. That was what I was watching. Now, what was the sentiment in the locker room with you guys? What was it like in the back when you come into a WWE locker room? You're not part of the company. What was it like? Was you welcomed in? Well, we had a separate. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, nobody bothered us. But right. We, we walked in. We were like a bait, a football league. We all like it was different back then. You know, we had all our ECW jackets on, and you know, we were like a fucking football club. You know, we walked in. I mean, I, when I went to WWE, I made friends with a lot of WWE guys that actually were still there. Even I talked to John Bradshaw about it, who I became very close to, um, and hanging out with him, went out to dinner with his wife, and you know, wrestled him a hundred times. He even jokes around. He's like, "You guys came in. We thought you were a bunch of you know." You like a high school team, you know. But we all came in, and, yeah, and we all had our own little section that they put us in. And nobody, nobody bothered us, but you know, nobody really knew that we were going to be there either. A lot of them didn't even know we were right. coming down, you know, because they tried to keep it a big cave. They picked us all up in a limousine, you know. So it, was, it wasn't a bad vibe. Nobody, nobody got in our face or anything like that, or caused any problems. We went there, we did our little invasion and shit. We, I didn't know anybody in WWE, so I kind of stayed to myself. And right. you know, but from what I remember, I mean, there was no. Can't believe that shit was 1997. Wow, we're, we're in 2018 now. 2007, yeah, almost 20, 20 years ago. 21, yeah, 21 years ago. Wow, that doesn't seem right years at all. Ago. Well, what was yeah, the mood? So. What was the mood like backstage whenever Lawler comes in at WrestlePalooza '97? You know, when he came in for WrestleMania, even when he came to the arena, you know, he was in the back. Everybody was cool. He was sitting around the monitor watching with us. You know, it was more it was more of a, um, a shoot for the fans. We, you know, it was, like the fans really thought it was a shoot because they played it up perfectly. Right. But, you know, Lola came in the locker room. He just he didn't no, nobody bothered him or anything. You know, we were actually happy to see him because we were marking out for him. So, right. Oh, look, Terry Lawler, you know. Then we'd see him on Raw with the crappy wrestling. But we knew it was helping us. We're actually doing something with WWE that's helping our company. That's putting this little company that's on at 1 o'clock in the morning now on Monday Night Raw. getting yeah, everybody's seeing it. Right. You know, so, I mean, I mean, I depends who you talk to, but I can tell you the truth. I was there for day, pretty much day one. There was nobody, when, when Lotto came in the locker room or Cornette, nobody was like, get that motherfucker out of here. <laughs> Nothing like that. Right. The only time that happens when uh, Mike Awesome uh, fucking never showed up for our show and took our belt and went to yeah. WCW and then had to come. I forget where we were. And I was traveling with Mike Awesome then. He never showed up at the airport and everything. I get to the show and... You know, Paulie's like, where's Mike? I'm like, I don't know, man. I said, he never showed up at the airport. I was traveling with him. Wow. And, uh, you know, and then when 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 finally everything came down to it, he had to come drop the belt. He wasn't allowed in our dressing room because everybody wanted to kick his ass because <laughs> we felt, like, disrespected by yeah. that, that this guy just took our belt, didn't tell us, and showed up on, on with WCW, even though he did what he had to do for himself right. and financially. But, you know, you got to do it the right way. Right. So, and we didn't know, we didn't know Paul had struck a deal with, with, with uh, WWE and brought Taz back at that time. So now you have, a, you have a, as you know, you have a WWE guy versus a WCW guy on an ECW show. Right. <laughs> it was, like, weird, <laughs> you know. And But Mike Awesome was not allowed in the dressing room. Uh, they spoke on the phone, I think, quickly, uh, went over what they were going to do. They brought Mike Awesome in through the stands, you know, through the through the front door. He climbed over the rail. He got in the ring. I, as you could watch the match, whatever it was, a minute. Mike Awesome got up, walked out, went over the guardrail, and out the door he went. Wow. I haven't seen him since. You know, well, I'm Lawler, never going to see him now. <laughs> well, Lawler always, even to this, to this day, if they bring up ECW on WWE's TV or something like that, he always kind of sticks to that, you know, extremely crappy wrestling, blah, 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 blah. But having worked for Lawler and know that ECW was very close to that old Memphis territory, just the, you know, this is a guy that used to throw fireballs at people. And that was his big thing. He was going to throw that fire on him. So I think Lawler to this day, still works that angle that he had heat with ECW. But I'm telling you, just for, from working around Lawler, you know, we worked. I worked for his promotion for a little while in Memphis before it went down. Uh, knowing Lawler, and not personally, but just knowing how he thinks and the gimmicks that he likes, he, he was yeah, probably yeah, – Yeah, he probably loved I, it. Listen, I, I wrestled in WWE Lawler for probably 
six of my years of my right. nine years because he was there as, as still there. And uh, I wrestled on tons of shows with Lawlin overseas and sat down at drinks with him and talked to him about ECW. He didn't remember me then, right. you know, but I will, I became friendly with him in WWE and, you know, then he, then he knew who I was, but he never, there was never any, I mean, he may, I don't think, honestly, I don't think him and Paulie actually liked each other. Yeah. I don't think, I think maybe back then when it was all happening, you know, Lawler uh, was, was maybe didn't like it in a way, but never, never where you like the guy wasn't allowed in a dressing room, or, and there was never a threat right. of somebody's gonna go kick Waller's ass, right? Or try to kick his ass <laughs> like this guy, you know. It, it, it was all for the TV, and Lawler played the played it great as far as with screaming, crappy wrestling, and who are these guys and these nobodies, and right. you know, and you know, sometimes when you do it so much, you start to believe that you hate it. <laughs> and I really think it's you also know? probably a nod to that Andy Kaufman throwback where. You never let anybody in that it's a work. Exactly. And, you know, you know what? I believe that Andy Kaufman stuff was a work, too, in the very beginning. Oh, yeah. You know, but Andy Andy loved the business. I mean, I don't know that for a fact. I can't say that. Oh, it definitely was. Yeah, it it was. Yeah, that was a work, you know. I mean, you know, Paulie, you know, Lola helped WWE at the time. I mean, Lola helped ECW at the time. Oh, yeah. And, um... You know, I, I, I don't think I don't think Paulie and Lawler were great friends. I think now things are different with everybody. I think right. now things are different. Obviously, with Bishop of McMahon, and I mean, you get older, it's like, come on, we're gonna do old grudge, hate people, <laughs> right? Well, you know, I mean, so to, I mean, to, to take up for Paulie here, Lawler did break his jaw, like legit. Lawler broke Paulie's jaw. Yeah, it was in a match. I think it was in Memphis. It was because he wouldn't crawl up the scaffold. Yeah, he was supposed to crawl up the scaffold or something, and Paulie told him no. So. He and Lawler even admits it in his book that he punched him in the jaw to break it on purpose, and he broke Paulie's jaw. He actually did the same thing to Cornette later on too. <laughs> oh, I thought he—I knew he broke the comedian's jaw. Didn't he break his jaw? No, actually, he didn't. He didn't break. Uh, he didn't break uh, Kaufman's jaw. He just slapped him so hard he fell out of his chair on uh, Letterman. But but yeah, he he legit broke uh, broke Heyman and Cornette's jaw. Oh no, was it Cornette? Yeah, it was Cornette, right? Or was it Hart? I can't. Uh, I Jimmy Hart, I think. You, yeah, yeah. It, uh, this one you got. You got me on this one. Yeah. I don't know. But he actually talks about know. it. There's a WWE segment uh, on the WWE Network called uh, uh, WWE Classics Roundtable, where they talk about everything or wrestling legends. Oh and, yeah, yeah, I know that. Show. And he actually he actually brings up uh, uh, Jr. Asked him, said, "Did you break his jaw on purpose or was it an accident?" And he he looks at Jr. and goes, uh, and "They're talking about Paul E." He goes, "I broke his jaw on purpose." And I think that would probably that would explain some of the heat. But like I said, th- that just shows the kind of creative genius that Paul E is. That he's like, even though this guy broke my jaw, he's going to be a ton of publicity for me. Let's bring him in and let him help our show. Most yeah, definitely. yeah, totally. To Paul, Paul took advantage of, uh, of the situation. Fuck it, I got my jaw broken. You might as well publicize. <laughs> right. You know. But, well, I used to love the round table. Oh yeah, it's great. It's a great show. I have to just did some stuff that's going to air soon for the network. Really? And it would is, but it will be out there yeah, a couple months ago. That's awesome. But it's not coming out for a little while. Can you tell us what it was on? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't tell you what it is. You, I can't tell you what it is. Well, no. well how no, about this? Everyone look for Nunzi on the WWE Network coming soon. How about that? That, that, that works. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> that works. Well, going back to Wrestlepalooza 97. That's also the night that Tommy Dreamer got his nuts destroyed by Lawler with a kendo stick. Now, do you remember that night? And if so, did you think Tommy was legit hurt at the time or just selling really good? Yeah, his ball sack, his nut got jammed up to his crotch. I I remember that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I don't think think he meant it, but I think, well, you know, Lawler calling with a shot. And hit his nut, and his nut went into his ball sack. He had to go to the hospital. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. But do I think Lawler did that on purpose? No. But you know what? When you try to do a ball shot and and hit you in the, in the nuts, that you know that could that could hurt. Yeah. <laughs> who who held the ice pack? Uh, I don't know who held the ice pack. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm <laughs> just joking. Where was that again? Where was that again? That, that was, was a pay per view. Yeah, I thought it was a house show. Yeah, it was a Wrestlepalooza. Lawler, the lights went out. The lights came back on. Lawler was there. Uh, you know, the lights went out a couple times. Sabu and Rob Van Dam helped him. And then uh, I think he was holding a like a stop sign or some kind of sign over no, his. No, they, they, they wishboned 
Dreamer's legs, yeah. and then Lawler did hit the cane shot, the, yeah, cane shot right to down the, the middle like a wishbone, and caught him legit. And I think he, they said he, he swelled up really bad. He had to have it drained. <laughs> oh God! I mean, of all the things that you would have to have drained that you would walk into a hospital for, I, I guess that would be the one that would be like, eek. I don't know if I want to walk yeah. in and say I yeah, need my balls no, that drained. Was, that was true that it, that was definitely true that it happened. Right. But I can't say it was done on purpose. No, no, no. I don't think it was done on purpose at all either. I just didn't know if you – we didn't know if you remembered it and uh, it, what oh, was your I, reaction. Yeah, 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 I remember that I, mean, I was friends with Tom, and I remember when he was hurt and, and had to help him. Oh, absolutely. I just – I forget exactly what building was. and We did so many fucking shows. That's oh, yeah, yeah. the way it should happen. Right. Well, speaking of injuries, you've been in the business for a while, and you've had a really long career. And like I said, when, when I started doing my homework on this interview, uh, listening to some of the other interviews and stuff, and you, you started talking about you, you started in the 90s, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, early 90s, you don't look it. So you've been in the business for a while. So after that much time, a lot of injuries could pop up. How many serious injuries have you had, and how did you? What would you contribute to you staying so healthy for so long that you didn't miss too much time? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you know, luck has a lot to do with it too. Because any second of the day, one wrong maneuver, and I've taken a million sick bumps, and you know, mm-hmm. you, it could end your career. But I actually, I just tore on an independent show um, for. Uh, I just tore my MCL, which I'm going through right now. Uh, it's oh, been, wow. I had a, I was supposed to be on Tommy Dreamer's last June shows, the one in Canada and the one yeah. in upstate New York, and I had to cancel it. So, uh, I mean, I'm okay. I don't need surgery because it heals on its own. But I'm going through a torn MCL at the moment. I have no ACL on my left knee. Oh. I had that taken out because I've torn that numerous times. I tore my meniscus. I broke my jaw in 1992. I was wrestling for the Savoldi's, and this guy slammed, and he tried to do a 450, and that was unheard of at the time. Right. He ended up doing like a 163 and a half, and he landed on my face. <laughs> oh, Actually. Geez. Actually, that night, Taz and Tommy Dreamer were there. Again, this was when I first met them before I even went to Japan. Um, and they threw this guy, SS Powerhouse, out of the dressing room because he did that to me because I became friendly with those guys and they were wondering why this guy. And I was new and I didn't want to say no and he should have never done that move to me. You know, and, right. and that night when I broke my jaw, if you ever do an interview with Taz and Dreamer and those guys, you ask them. They actually threw him out of the dressing room. You know, so, um, and I've had, I've had a cut for hernias. Um, again, ACL and MCL tears like crazy. I broke my ankle for super crazy uh, last May. I broke my uh, ankle wow. in two bones, two, uh, oh. two places, not two bones, two small bones. Um, so, I mean, the injuries, you know, you don't hear of them. I mean, thank God I never, I mean, I consider myself lucky because I've wrestled with guys, even guys like Draz and, you know, okay. uh, a million other guys that are paraplegics and, and can never walk again. You know, I mean, I I consider myself lucky. I'm in this business because I want to be in this business. It's nobody's fault whatever injuries you get. But if I can go through 27 years and be able to walk and talk and and live a good life now and and take care of my family and my kids, you know, everything's good. I got no no regrets, you know, but there are some guys, unfortunately, out there that are in wheelchairs. Yeah, and that's shame. Yeah, and it's it's almost like nobody escapes this business without having something happen to them. And, you know, you spoke about breaking your ankle. I broke my ankle in two thousand eight uh, in a match uh, where a guy just, I, it just just one of those things that happens. And yeah, uh, yeah you can't blame anybody. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's it's not ballet. It's not ballet at all. And you know, you look back at it, and even Lawler would claim to have no in- even in his book he talked about just being lucky he didn't have that many injuries in wrestling you know aside being getting hit by the car with uh eddie gilbert uh aside from that <laughs> yeah. he didn't have any injuries but then you fast forward to his last match it, it was injuries that caused him in the ring that he said gave him the heart attack so you know you don't escape this business unscathed like you said it's not ballet and things happen so you know that going in so it's it's really hard for you know you to sit there and go anybody to sit there and go man wrestling is just so fake I mean, that's one of the things that always just riles me up because like I said yeah. no one well, comes out on you hear that from people that are not wrestling fans those ignorant people you know wrestling is there's a there's a difference wrestling is predetermined right it's not fake the things we do in there are very physical it's predetermined that's why if you talk to a guy that's not a wrestling fan they prefer to how do you watch that shit. They know who's going to win. Yeah, you right. fucking moron, but you don't know who's going to win. When you go watch Rocky Three and Rocky's beating Clever Lang up, do you, do you think they don't know oh, who's going to win? But yeah. you get yourself emotionally involved in the movie. When you go watch The Terminator, in real life, you think he's blowing those fucking people away? No. Right. But you put yourself in that situation. Well, pro wrestling is the same thing. They had, these two guys are having a match in the ring. 
They know who's going to win. You're a fan of one of those guys, and you want your guy to win. Do you, do you know it's predetermined? That's, so that's, that's the difference with people not understanding, and those are people that are not wrestling fans. How do you watch that shit? They know who's oh. going to win, bro. And oh. you must never go to the movies or watch TV. Oh, I love that you said that because one of my sister-in-laws got heat with me this past, like, two weeks ago. I was watching a pay-per-view that was on, and one of them said, you know, oh, gosh, this is so fake, and I let it slide. And then the next thing she said was, how can somebody watch something like this? And I looked at her, and I'm like, okay, what do you like? You know, Did you know Clint Eastwood didn't die in all those movies? Do you know that old woman in the notebook? She might have had dementia, but she didn't die at that moment when she died in, in the notebook. You know, it, it just bothers me. It's like, okay, you like your thing, but just because you don't understand wrestling and you don't understand the sports entertainment aspect of wrestling, you know, you, you want to look down on me. I don't like NASCAR. I don't think that it's, you know, to me personally, I don't like watching a car go in a circle for three hours. No, same way. I'm the right. same way with that. But I, ne- I don't have no problem with exactly. anybody else does it. I don't exactly. ever say to somebody, how do you watch? I don't understand NASCAR. I don't understand how the points work. I don't understand how they could have <laughs> cars, 15 cars back, and they're, they're in the same fairness of the guy in front. I just don't understand right. the rules. But I don't ever it's- I never sit there and go look at somebody and say, well, how do you watch that shit? Exactly. It's, it's just a respect factor at that point. Well, I kind of got off on a tangent there. We have heard of guys in ECW having multiple jobs, and I actually heard an interview where you said that you used to do some merchandise stuff and actually work for the hotline in ECW. And callers would call up and you would disguise your name and say that you were somebody else the fans didn't know. Can you give us an example of like a name or something you would say to a guy that called into the ECW hotline, stuff that you would say to him? Well, we were just, it wasn't a hotline. It was the office in Westchester. It wasn't so much, I guess you could call it a hotline. It was a, it was a number. It wasn't just me, though. It was me and uh, actually Devon. Devon would answer the phone. Me, me, Tommy Dreamer, and Devon worked in the White Plains office. That office was a merchandise office. We used to, um, or, you know, Jimmy used to order all the shirts. We used to get, when they got delivered, we used to go pick them up in a van, bring them to the office, carry them up these stairs, put them in the office. And then before each of the shows, we used to pack the van up. And a lot of times I would drive with Dreamer, depending where they were, and we would go to certain shows. Actually, me and Paulie at times, because we lived all in the same area, um, except when the shows were far, then we would have to bring the shirts and fly them, put them on planes and, and, and fly them out to different places. So the three of us were in charge of the merchandise office. So when people ordered the shirts, me and Devon, we would actually put the orders together. And then we would go to the, go to the, uh, we'd go to the, um, post office with bags and bags of, of, right. of, 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 of orders and we would mail all the orders out. Um, so like when people would call up, we, we had Damien, this guy Damien also used to answer the phone, but we would answer the phone too, but we would never say who we were. We would just make up names. I was Harvey this, like sometimes we use WWE names. I used <laughs> Harvey Wimpleman one time. <laughs> no, we would just, we would just mess around. So we didn't, we all didn't have the same name, but we just, you, you know, it was a spoof. So we were, you know, we just fuck around, so but we didn't want the fans to know it was us. So we would act, we would talk like maybe like old ladies or or, or whatever. Just, just had fun to entertain each other there. That's so that awesome. was our jobs at the merchandise office. You know, the first time when I was in ECW when when I when they first, I remember the first time I was with Wild Bill. Um, we started to do shows out in like Florida and shit. And at that time, you know, Paulie was only bringing certain guys over. And I always wanted to go to Fort Lauderdale and stuff like that. So one time, Dreamer comes up to me. We're low in the van. He's like, hey. He goes, you want you want to go to do the shows in Florida and shit? I'm like, yeah, man. He goes, all right. He goes, do me a favor. He goes, you want you? He goes, I'll give you the, you know, the company will give you the gas money. He goes, um, you and Wild Bill drive the van there. You know, so we had to drive the merchandise van. So we're like, cool, wow. He's gonna, we, gotta, we, we don't got to use our own car. We have to drive the van there because they need to get the merchandise there. It was cheaper probably to bring the, the, the van with the shirts in it than put them on airplanes and fly them there. So uh, so we took it as a, you know, me and Wild Bill. We're like, wow, here's an opportunity for us to fucking get there. And once we got there, we didn't have to drive the van around because they had merchandise people there. So then we would jump in with the other wrestlers in the, in the cars and go to do the whole loop of shows, whatever it was, four or five shows, and then we would drive the van back. You know, uh, one time there was there was a catch though. Dreamer used to have a bulldog, so he's like, "You got to take my dog with you." And I was like, <laughs> "All right, okay, you know, <laughs> we'll take your dog." My problem was the dog was like a bulldog; it never could breathe. And oh, meanwhile, yeah. Bill weren't allowed to go into once you got like into the hot areas like Carolinas and. Georgia, we couldn't actually Tennessee. go eat in restaurants. Yeah. We had one of us had to run in, and one of us had to get. You know, we couldn't. We had, couldn't shut the car off because the dog couldn't breathe. 
if we showed up with his dog dead, there would have been a lot of problems. <laughs> the dog was like spitting on us and shit, but it was a good time. It was definitely a good time. Well, you mentioned Florida. We had Mikey Whipwreck on last month, and he said that when you guys went to Florida, he literally couldn't go because his mom wouldn't let him. He said, oh, he, "Oh, I don't know about that." Yeah, he said he was living with his parents at the time, and they were like, "No." You're not going to the crazy wrestling with the crazy wrestling people to Florida to wrestle. No, you're not doing it. <laughs> I, know, I believe that. Yeah, I, believe that. I think he lived in Long Island. Yeah, he said he had to go to Paul and say he couldn't go to Florida because his mom wouldn't let him. <laughs> hey, he probably made up. I think he might have made up a, an excuse. So maybe he did tell Paul that. Yeah, Mikey <laughs> was living with his mother. I will, I think we all were. No, because I, I came home from Japan. I was with WWE. Actually, I was living home, too, but we were never home. Right. Because we were on the road four days a week. I would come home, wash my clothes, and boom, out the door again. You know, no place to live by yourself. Right. Those were good times, though. Everything everything worked out. So. Well, quite a but, few people during that time from ECW ended up signing with WCW. And did you ever think about signing with them while they were hot? Yeah, well, I had, I had an opportunity when ECW was about to close down. Um, Chris Canyon was running the cruiserweight thing, and uh, you know they were bringing in all the cruiserweights at the time. Right. And then um, Chris Canyon called and wanted me and uh, Mama Luke to go and do the cruiserweight thing as a tag team. And I didn't. I, I, I heard that ECW was closing down, and I wasn't sure. You know, we didn't know what was going on. Obviously, you all know the story. And I went to Dreamer, and um, you know he told the pause. Guys, I said, "Is this closing down?" Because there's a, we didn't even get down the money. I was like, you know, is there maybe an opportunity with this cruiserweight thing because they were bringing all the smaller guys into WCW at that time. Chris Canyon right. was in charge of that. And they're like, oh, no, no, don't leave, don't leave. We're fine, we're fine. So I, I didn't even get a chance to talk money. I stayed with the ECW, but that showed my loyalty to them, too. But, yeah, ECW closed down like a month later, but WCW closed down two weeks later, so it really didn't fucking make a difference anyway. <laughs> right. You know, but when ECW closed down, I got, you know, Paulie, when ECW closed down, yeah. Paulie told me, you know, he's like, oh, I'll get you a job with, with WWE. It took him some time. Like, I was hoping it would happen in months, and I kind of gave up after a while. But sure enough, uh, a year and a half later, because, you know, I, I had to get – it was hard for Paul to get me in. When ECW closed, WCW closed, you had all these big fish on the market. You had all the WCW top guys. You had all the Rob Van Dams and, right. and the Dreamers, the Sabus. You know, it was just so many guys. So I had to wait for everybody to get weeded out. Like, Paul didn't tell me that at the time. He's like, oh, just relax, just relax. And I kind of hung on. I was doing independence because ECW was hot off TV when we first closed. So all the local areas were using all the ECW guys. But it came to a point after like two years. Because I didn't go. ECW closed down in 2002. I went to WWE finally in like 2000. uh, ECW closed down in 2000. Right. ECW, WCW. And I didn't go to WWE until 2002, October of 2002. Wow. Um, so it was like when Paul, when the ECW closed, Paul's like, don't worry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you a job, I'm going to get you a job. And I tr- checked in with him every couple of months, and finally, after like a year and a half, I just figured, you know what, I, I think he tried, maybe he just couldn't. Right. You know, then when he became the head writer of SmackDown, I'll never forget this, he had the head writer of SmackDown, I just got a job with Snapple. He'd be doing uh, deliveries for Snapple, and I was, in a, a, I was in a restaurant with my wife, and all of a sudden my phone rings, and it says, Paul Lee. So I look at Doreen, I'm like, I said, well, she was my girlfriend at the time. I look at Doreen, I go, Doreen, I go, uh, police calling. She's like, really? I said, let me take this. I go outside, I answer the phone. Now, I haven't talked to him in about a year, and this is a long time of me calling him and nothing happening, nothing happening, nothing happening. I answer the phone. The first words out of his mouth goes, congratulations. So I'm like, <laughs> Paul? He's like, congratulations. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I told you I'd get you a job. I'm like, Paul, what are you talking about? He goes, you got a job with WWE. I said, uh, no, I don't. I said, I, I didn't talk to him. He goes, you're going to get a call this week from John Laronitis. He goes, don't tell him I told you. He's going to call you. <laughs> and I said, all right. I said, I ain't going to tell you. Tell him he's going to he's gonna get a schedule, and he's going to bring me out to, to a tryout. He goes, but you got a job. So I said, all right. And I said, sure enough, the next week, I was at a CV. I just left my phone in the car. I go in the CV. I to take an order. And I come back, and there's a message on my phone. I look up, and Johnny, Johnny leaving me a message telling me to give him a call. So I call him, and he's like, what are you doing, blah, blah, blah. And I told him, he goes, oh, hey, yeah, well, give me a schedule. What can you do in a couple of weeks? And he asked me for these Texas shows. Can you come out to do the TVs? 
So I said, yeah, I said, sure. You know, so I go to Snapple. I told them I needed off. I lied to them, whatever happened. And uh, I went to do I went to do Monday Night Raw. I worked with Funaki, the, no, Johnny the Bull the first night. Um, and then I worked with um, Funaki the next night. So after the second night, you know, I don't know what's going on. So Paulie comes over. He goes, hey, anybody talk to you? I said, no, Paul. I said, I don't know what's going on. He goes, you got a job. I said, okay, did you say so? You know. <laughs> So two minutes later, like 10 minutes later, Johnny comes up, uh, no, Jim Ross comes up to me and he's like, Johnny Ace wants to talk to you because Johnny Ace, Jim Ross was kind of like on his way out of that position. He was grooming Johnny. Johnny really didn't have it. You know, he he had the position, but Jim was still doing it too. Right. So Jim Ross came over to me and said, Johnny wants to talk to you in his office. So I went over there and they offered me a deal and gave me a contract. And, you know, so they, they basically, I guess I had the job before I got there, but they wanted me to see if you know, it was a tryout, but Paul already told me anyway. <laughs> You know, but I still didn't believe it. So that's actually how it happened. That's why people always, you know, every, there's a lot. Listen, Paulie gave my job and he said, this ain't kissing his ass because I don't need Paulie now. Right. But, you know, I, I'm doing perfectly fine in my life. I, I'm happy for everything he's done for me. Yes. Did sex bounce on me when, when he was bouncing checks in ECW? Absolutely. Do we all hang on because we love the business and, and wanted it to work? Absolutely. And, you know, he gave me my job in ECW, and I made a 10 times more money because of him because he got me a job with WWE, and I ended up being there for eight years and, and maybe almost nine, even after he left. Right. You know, so there are people, people, like I, people want, you know, I don't dog them because how could I dog a guy that gave me my start and they got me a job in WWE? Okay. There are people that, did, did he lie to me at times? Absolutely. Does he owe me some money? No, he don't owe me money. And I say that because I I made 10 times more money in WWE than he ever could owe me. You know? Right. So when people people have the right, some people are like, oh, fuck him. He's an asshole. And you know what? I say, you're right. You have the right to say that. Maybe he did fuck you. That's your personal issue with him. I can't say that. Right. You know, and I'm not just saying that he didn't do anything to me. You know? So for the people that do hate him, they have the right to hate him probably. People, that, you know, but I, I'm saying my, my, my experience with his were never so horrible for me to sit here now and, and shit on him. Right. It's kind of like it's kind of like what we told Mikey. The worst thing he probably did to you was make you so successful that you have to talk to us now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's nice. Nice to feel wanted every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, it's like we were joking with him. We were like, yeah, it's because of him that you're having to sit here and talk to us now. That Because you made it, now you're having to talk to us, and, you know, we're nobodies. But Hey, listen, I get to sit back and watch the network. Anything I ever did in ECW exactly. is on the network. Anything I ever did in WWE is on the network. You know, I mean, it's, you, know, I, 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 you know, the object is when it's all over, if you didn't make enough money to live for the rest of your life and you have a little nest and stuff, you don't want to spend it. Right. Go out and, and, you know, get 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 out of the, the superstar life, which is very hard to do. I believe we, I know it. But you got to do it if, if that's what you have to do. You got to do what you have to do. And wrestling helped me on the outside. I, I used the, the fans and marks and people in certain places because they were marks for me. Give, give me opportunity in the real world. So I use the wrestling business to help me get get get, you know, get things that I needed in the real world. And I met certain people because of who I am as, as Nunzio or Little Guido. And even the people that didn't know me, that, oh, you know who this guy is? Oh, yeah, he sells. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, just Google him. Like, so nobody knows they Google. And then all of a sudden, they look at you like you're Hulk Hogan, and they want to help you. <laughs> right. You know, right. you got to learn to use the business. Use your popularity to help you in the real world. But then once they get a position, you got to produce. You know? Right. So I'm not giving any, like, lessons here. So anyway. Right. Well, that's it, guys. This will be the last question, then we can wrap up. Without incriminating anybody, what would you say is the best rib that either you've been a part of or you've heard guys telling tales of? The best rib? You should have asked me that question in the beginning, and I could have thought about it for a while. <laughs> I, wasn't a, I wasn't a big, uh, uh, I mean, the, a great rib that they did to me, I could tell you. Uh, when I first went to Japan, that I was having my first match. So Japanese customs are totally different. So my first match in Japan, first of all, I'm nervous wreck. I'm actually going in front of like 40,000 people. So I was coming off the independence wrestling in front of 250 people as Damien Stone to get this opportunity with UWFI and training down there and actually going to my first match in Japan, wherever it was, I don't know if it was Tokyo or whatever. Um, I was doing a tag match, and so they come up to me and they said, oh, no, 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 don't, you don't get dressed. Everybody puts their trunks over there. 
So all the guys have their shorts on. I see all these trunks lined up, and these guys are going to put their trunks on. One minute before match, go put your stuff on. Tradition. Oh, okay, <laughs> cool. You know what I didn't know is they put Bengay in my in my inside my trunk <laughs> on the rim part. <laughs> so my, I'm nervous enough. So I go over. I was trying to say, okay, but, you know, next match, blah blah blah. I go. I fucking put the things. I put the other ones on, and it doesn't sting right away. It took about a good like two minutes, two and a half minutes, and I was like, oh, and I could smell it, and now I'm feeling it, and my nuts are burning, and they're fucking. I'm looking at one of the guys, and they're all like looking at me, and they can see I'm fucking freaking out. But they gave me an extra. I really wasn't the next match. They gave me extra time to go take them off and to clean my nuts and stuff. But, <laughs> I mean, I thought that was funny. It wasn't funny at the time, right? But that's that's what they did to me. You know, so I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus for one. <laughs> but I don't know. They they did a ton of ribs. I would just have to think of them. So. Any, That's him brain dead right now. And and like not throwing him under the bus, and you can totally you know throw this away. We won't have to even air it. Any good Tommy Rich? Because uh, we're from the South, so we're Tommy Rich and Tracy Smothers fans. Any and you, it doesn't even have to be a bad story. Any good Tracy Smothers, Tommy Rich stories that you can tell? Oh yeah, all of them. None, no, none I would tell here. We had a lot of great stories, but and that was just as nutty as those guys. But we had some of the best times and did some crazy things that I. I that I wouldn't say. Again, see, I'm a boy on interview. I don't even know why you're interviewing me. No, no, man. I, got this... nothing, I, got, I don't. I don't lay the dirt on other people. No, but no, we no. had some great, great times. A lot, a lot of good times. Well, that's times. that's awesome. Yeah, being from the South, we're huge Tracy Smothers, and uh, I don't think Tracy and and Tommy haven't said anything worse on interviews. So yeah, not a problem. Like I said, we are just huge fans yeah. of those. Huge fans of yours. Yeah, no. Well, and, I just did something with them. I did some. Me, Tracy, and Tommy did Legends of the Ring uh, two weeks ago. Oh wow! Nice. Yeah, up in uh, in New, it was in Monroe, New Jersey. Are nice. they still doing pretty good? Yeah, yeah, they did all right. I mean, I was part of the uh, the VIP package, so I wasn't in the main room. We were in the main room actually. We weren't in like the vendor room, so I don't know how the vendor was. But I mean, this guy did well with us. He had me. He had me. He had. Um, he had three different two-hour sessions. In my session in the room, it was me, Tracy, and Tommy, uh, James Elworth. They brought James Elworth in. He was sitting over there before he made his return. Right. Uh, Mick Foley. Mick Foley was in the room. Nice. Um, and then a couple more. Rob Van Dam was there. They had him on the VIP. Uh, I believe, I think Sabu actually was there. I mean, I mean, the room did okay. You know, I mean, I, I like I said, I wasn't in the vendor room, but I did the vendor room a couple of years ago, and they, they I don't know how they actually do well, only because they use the same guys a lot, and you know, but they draw. But they say I, I was there with Tracy and Tommy. I was Tracy and Tommy. I was there. With, I was there with Mama Luke a few years ago, and I was actually there with Chuck and Johnny. So here, here was I was able to go to the same place three different times with different partners because people <laughs> went to different parts of the group. Well, you know, when you said you, know? you, you, Tracy, and Tommy were together recently, I thought we just got the scoop that it was an FBI table for three on WWE Network. But, you know, we'll just say look for look for Nunzio on WWE Network coming soon. We won't say what it is. Yeah, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I, I'll give you a hint. It, it wasn't that. But I'll tell you what, you should put that out there. They should have a table of three. Yeah, I did not that do would a be, table of three. That, that would, would be, be great. I would tell you that. That would be great. It was not a table of three. Well, man, but, you, uh, that would be great. They yeah. should have one with me, Tracy, and Tommy. They should have one with me. Mama Luke and Big Sal, and they should have one with me, Chuck, and Johnny. Yeah, and then and you could all have Italian food and talk about ECW. We could all Italian food and tell some stories. That'd be great. <laughs> I'm thinking some good ones. But I'm going to take off, guys. Yeah, I'm man. Well, we appreciate you being on here. Once again, check him out. If he's in your area, you won't be disappointed. He was a great wrestler. He still does it, and he's awesome. Great guy. Nunzio. I do have my, uh, I do have my, uh, my Instagram, Nunzio yes. under slash Guido. That and my uh, Twitter, so they could follow me on that. Put Guido on this last Nunjo, you'll find it. Yep. Look for him and look for him on Twitter and Instagram. Man, we can't say enough. Thank you so much for being a part of P3 Radio today. Thank you, guys. Take care. Score Big is the leading online marketplace for tickets to sports, concerts, theater, and family events. ScoreBig allows you to purchase last-minute tickets to sold-out events. Also, the latest on sales of popular artists, teams, and productions. They'll get you in. They safeguard your transaction with a 100% money-back guarantee under a secure checkout with interactive seat maps to guide your purchase. And whether it's an Atlanta Braves game, Metallica concert, or a WWE event, they've got you covered. Book your seats now at tinyurl.com slash p3events. 
That's tinyurl.com slash p3events. Well, the sound of that song means that we have come to an end of another edition of P3 Radio. If they want to follow us on Facebook, Richard, where can they do that? It's simple. You go to Facebook, you type in Pop Poncho, you'll find us there. You can find us on Twitter at P3Radio, or if they want to send us an email, Josh, where do they send us an email? P3Radio, the number one, at gmail.com. You can also send us a voicemail or a text. At what number? 731 731-300-6675. 731-300-6675. We'd like to thank Nunzio for dropping in today and doing our interview with us. It was great to have him on. If you're entertained by that, please go back and check out our archives. You can check us out on iTunes by typing in P3 Radio, or you can go to SoundCloud and just type in P3 Radio. You can find us there or anywhere on the internet where fine podcasts are found. What are some good apps there, Josh? We got Podbean, Beyond Pod. Tons of other apps. Just go to your Play Store or the your little iTunes or whatever. However it is that you listen to this show right now, yes. do it again next week. Do it again. Find our archives. Yeah, find our archives. We've got some great episodes with Bill Dundee, Bobby Yeaton, Pete Gass, Thrasher, the Headbangers. The list goes on and on. You won't be disappointed, hopefully. <laughs> Just go and check those out. P3 Radio online where you can find us. Uh, we greatly appreciate that. And leave some comments. Leave some feedback. That's going to do it for us. For Josh Broadley, this is Richard Mulligan saying thanks for so much for listening, and good night.